Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. We're going to have a great time today. And so we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 30. But I got a, I got a burning question. Can I ask you guys an honest question? Is that okay? Here's my question. Who actually likes going to the dentist? Like anybody? <laughs> wow, I'm surprised. <laughs> hey, hey, thankful for you, okay? Maybe I've just had bad experiences. But it was like four or five years ago where um, I went, and I forgot exactly what happened. Pretty much, you know, the dentist is like, hey, um, when you got a hey, um, you know it's not, it's not going well. So, hey, um, you, you need to get a root canal on one of your, you know, teeth. And I was like, okay. And I forgot why, but we scheduled a week later. And I don't know if I got too busy, if I was in denial, if I forgot, but I just didn't go. I, I don't even remember why. And so I think, what, three, four, maybe five months at the latest, right, I went by. You guys can kind of see where this is going. And I had my first wedding to do in a week and a half. So I'm practicing. I'm ready. Like, I'm a little nervous, but I'm ready. I got my suit on. I'm just, I'm pumped, right? And then one night I was doing what I do best, eating dessert. And I got my cookies and cream drumstick. Let's go. It was, it was amazing. Until I, I bid in. I'm like, you know, I know drumsticks are crunchy, but they're not that crunchy. And so I go to the bathroom. I don't, I don't want to get too TMI, but I'm like, what is, that's my tooth. And I'm looking at the mirror. And I see toothless Chris, right, right here, broken up everything. And I'm like, and so I go to my wife. And I'm like, what do you think? And um, I don't want to say you, you, might have, you may have smirked. Um, I can't totally remember. Um, but there was a little bit of laughter. But then it kind of just hit me. I'm like, I'm going to do a wedding in a week and a half with a broken tooth. I'm going to mess up everyone's photos. Like, this is going to be embarrassing. Now, to that point, I didn't know what it felt like to faint. But it definitely happened. And I'm on the bed. I'm like, oh, my gosh, right? My wife's freaking out. It was, it was pretty funny. And so... We all know what it's like to have an unexpected moment. And some of them you, you can laugh at, but some are like, man, that is just brutal. And there's some things that you can plan for, but there's a lot of things in life you just can't. And it just happens. And in those moments when the unexpected happens, the first thing that we usually feel is pressure. 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 Because it's, it's the unexpected and I was doing a lot of just reading this week, studying, and it's just incredible, maybe not incredible, but interesting, studies are showing about our stress level of pressure. And I was thinking, you know, this might actually interest people, but I thought, you know, it may not even interest us, because even when I read it, I feel so desensitized to it, because pressure is so normal now in our culture. But I was reading is that 40% of Americans say that in the last five years, their stress level has tripled. Just let that sink in. Half of America are saying my stress life is just out of control. And they took it a step further where they said, hey, so for the parents, how many of you would say that your stress level affects your kids? And only 14%. No, I just... No, not really. I got it together. It's cool. And what do you think that the, the, the pollers did? They asked the kids, hey, do your parents stress you out? And 75% called their parents liars. 
Like, your stress stresses me out. Like, it may not look like it or feel like I may not tell you, but you are stressing me out. And the top physical symptoms of pressure that people are feeling is stress, anxiety, headaches, and the top one was fatigue. And I just thought, gosh, like, it's just so easy. Like, man, I'm just tired. I'm having a rough week. But in reality, we are facing so much pressure that it's making our physical bodies tired. And, and, and I think we all can relate to this, that we, we feel so much pressure that even good things feel overwhelming right now. I know I should work out. I know I should, like, just, you know, eat better. But it just feels like too much work. <sighs> too much pressure. <laughs> too much pressure to eat good. And it's like, gosh, like, I know, I know I need to get to church. God spoke to me. He just, we sang worthy, and God was speaking to me. But it's like, gosh, I just, I just can't. I just don't have enough space and time. There's just so much pressure. I know I need to date my spouse. I know I need to take them on a date night. But there's just deadlines. There's launch dates. There's just so many things. But it gets pushed out a year later. And pressure now turns into pain. When we don't deal with pressure the right way, it will ultimately lead to pain. And not just for ourselves, but for the people around us. I've learned this, and I'm sure you've learned this as well, that nothing will test the foundation of your life more than pressure and pain. The foundation meaning what your life stands on. That if, if, if it were to shake a little bit, if someone were just to just take it out, like your foundation, you would just crumble. And so when pressure and pain hit us, the security of our foundation gets tested. If your security and foundation is in your finances and there's some pressure there, you're going to feel it. And it's interesting because if your pressure is, is financial, even if you're killing it, and it's like, man, I am going from step to step, glory to glory, I'm just killing it, there's still pressure there because you've got to maintain it. So whether it's finances, you know, honestly, not just our security, but even our own values get tested. It's one thing to live by your convictions when it's easy, but it's another thing to live by your convictions when it's hard, when it's difficult, when, when it looks like a good thing, but is it really a God thing? Pressure will tell you, you've got to take every single opportunity, but Lord's like, I don't want you to take every single opportunity, I want you to be obedient. And obedience doesn't always make sense to the physical mind, to the physical eyes. And so pressure and pain will test your security. It will test your values. And for a lot of us, it's going to test our leadership. I'm not a leader. Yes, you are. Because you've got influence. You don't need to have a position to be a leader. If people look at you in your life for something, you are a leader. Parents, you're a leader. If you're in your job, you're a leader. So it's not a question if you have influence, but what are you doing with it? And I can I be can I be honest right now? I <laughs> no it just seems like no debating on Facebook comes to any godly value. And maybe it can, I just haven't seen it yet. But here's what just ugh, irks me inside is that the world is looking for the church to get it together, but when they look online, all they see is the fighting the backbiting, the gossiping. And it's like, is there really a difference between us and the world? Is there, is there really a difference where it's 
that's another, that's another message. All right, so pressure and pain will test your godliness on social media, right? If you can't say it to them in person, don't say it online. That's the last thing I'm going to say about that. All right, moving on. And so pressure and pain will affect the, our foundation if we have the right foundation. And here's the thing. A lot of us, myself included, we do two things. When the pressure is deep, we often react to the pressure, but we retreat from the pain. When we, when we feel the pressure, the natural instinct is to react. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to do this. And what happens is that we stay on this proverbial treadmill. We go, we go, I got this, I got this. I've tried the same thing 10 times and it hasn't worked out, but maybe it's going to work. Number 11, and you're, you're, you're praying, you're lifting it up, but you're doing the same thing, but it's just not, it's just not working. And, and pain, oh my goodness, like nobody likes pain. If you say you like pain, man, we should hook you up with a therapist, okay? Like that's, that's rough, that's hard, okay? There's a lot going on there. And pain doesn't feel good. But it's an essential part of how we deal with life. And one of the authors I love to read, his name is Henry Cloud. And he wrote a book named, uh, called Necessary Endings. And he told a story of this high executive where she had to make some really rough and tough calls. And, but she didn't want to do it. She didn't want to be that negative person that came in and started making changes. So Henry Cloud said in classic Henry Cloud form, hey, have you ever been to a dentist? And have you ever had a um, pain in one of your teeth? Well, yeah, like of course. Okay, did, did your dentist ever say, hey, I have to pull that infected tooth out? Yes. Like, what's your point, right? This is kind of obvious. Did you allow him to do it? Yes. Did you feel pain when he pulled it out? Well, yeah, I did. But then why did you let him do it? Because it was the very best thing for me. If that would have stayed, it would have hurt me. And then you start, you start seeing it sinking in, in your mind or heart. Or a lot of times, just because something hurts, we think it's harming us. But it's actually the opposite. Because when that dentist is pressing and pressing, oh, that hurts. There's something there that God wants to touch in that moment. Because if you don't deal with your teeth, you're going to have a drumstick store like me. And you're going to be preaching like this, okay. But here's what Henry Cloud said. There's a big difference between hurt and harm. We all hurt sometimes in facing hard truths but it makes us grow. It can be the source of huge growth. This is not harmful. Harm is when you damage somebody. Facing reality is usually not a damaging experience, even though it can hurt. I think a lot of times why we don't face our pressure, we react to it, because there's truth underneath the pressure that we don't want to deal with. There's a reason why we're staying busy. There's a reason why we can't slow down. But here's the problem. God can chase you, but he's going to wait for you to slow down and come to him. And so I just believe that God, I got some great news, is that God doesn't want to give you a solution today. Because he is the solution. And that's not a play on words. Oh, that's cute. I'm going to tweet that. No, I mean that. Where it's like God, see, a lot of times we think God, okay, there's this resource, there's this resource, and then God's right here. God just becomes another resource. But God's like, no, 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 I'm not just another resource. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am the great I am. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you come to me, I'm going to give you way more than just a solution. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you everything that you need for life and for godliness. And so I want to talk a little bit about David today. 
who had a very unexpected day where he came off a military victory. I mean, he was just, he smashed it. His guys were dialed in, but yet he comes home with something unexpected. Now, when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amicalites had made a raid against the Negib and against Ziglag. They had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and went on their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So check this out. He, he's, he's on cloud nine. He's excited. He's ready. But he comes home and the women and children are taken away. His city is completely burned down. And it's just, it, it, it's a mess. So if David, if anyone knows about an unexpected moment, it's David. It continues. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ananom of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and their daughters. So this day is going from bad to worse. Women and children are taken away. City is burned down. And to make it absolutely worse, the guys who are behind him, for him, now they're turning against him, saying, you're the problem. We're going to take you out. We're going to stone you. And we're coming to a really hard truth that when you're filled with pressure from every angle, if you don't handle it right, you're not going to take responsibility for what's happening to you. It's all about what's happening to you, but not how you can respond in the right way. And if you look at the word greatly distressed, there's a lot of meaning to it. The Hebrew word means to bind, to tie up, and to squeeze. You get this picture, David's almost in a, in a, a straitjacket where he's pressed at every angle. And he's just, he's just being squeezed. Now, a lot of times in these squeeze moments... There's those suddenly moments where it's like, boom, what? Where did that come from? But sometimes there's those slow dripping moments where there's a part in your house or room one, oh, I should probably deal with that, but it's cool. No worries. And then next week happens, another fire happens in your home. Ah, uh, two, probably should deal with that, but no. Months later, now there's ten rooms in your house on fire because there wasn't any responsibility and now you feel squeezed. And so whether you're in a suddenly moment or in a slow drippy moment, God wants to meet you there. And the second meaning of this word, which is huge, is that David was under extreme mental distress. So the, the, the problem was so big in David's head that his imagination, his thinking, how he was processing, everything was consumed by what was in front of him. So believe it or not, that David's problem wasn't just the problem. The real problem was that he was consumed by it. There was extreme mental distress. And isn't that the problem when we're facing our problems? That we're just so consumed by it that we just can't see outside of it. 
Listen, this is David who is the king of Israel. He is God's anointed. He is the man that went toe-to-toe with Goliath and said, hey, you can talk about me bad, but you talk about my God bad. Oh, it's over. And it was over. He took him out. This is the same person that would walk into an open area and by his bare hand rip apart lions and bears. That just pumps me up. Let's go. I love that. But yet now he's facing a situation where he feels so little, so small, and he just feels like he's just isolated on his own. I think we've all been in moments like that. Last year, there was, a, there was a season for me where I was under this great stress. Um, I, I tend not to be an anxious person, but um, I have a lot more com- uh, capacity and compassion for people that struggle with anxiety because I was dealing with that last year. And there's one particular moment, I can't say exactly when, but um, I had preached one Sunday. And honestly, just being honest, I got off the stage and I was like, you know what? I didn't like that sermon. I just, it, it wasn't good. I asked my wife, I probably ate my emotions that day. Had, had good old couple che- uh, cheeseburgers. It was awesome in the moment. But I remember I allowed something in my heart that I shouldn't have. And just this thing in me that wanted just to please people. Please people, please people, please people. And so the next time I got up to preach, I just felt so much pressure. Like, i got to perform. Does this sound good? Is this tweetable? Are people cheering? Oh, there's so much pressure. And so when I, would go, when I would prepare, and this is how I knew that I was taking myself too seriously. To, pre- to prepare a message, you could take anywhere between, I don't know, 10, 13 hours, something like that. I was preparing for 20 plus hours. And my mind was just racing. It'd be like the night before. It's like, it's like 11 p.m. Like I think, I think I know what God's speaking to me. And it was brutal. And so it was almost like this thing where it's like, it's not that I didn't like preaching, but I hated what it was doing to me. And so if it looks like we all have it uh, all together up here, we don't. We're still figuring it out. And so I remember it was probably like three or four messages like of this. I'm just feeling, oh, I'm just, I, I just, I love it, but then I hate it. It's all this. And I remember one night before I preached, I was praying. I said, like, God, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't let, like, what this is doing to me, it's just all the attention's on me, and I hate it. And God's like, exactly. So he's like, I want you to worship. I want you to pray. I, just, I want you to get the attention off yourself. And what felt like three hours of worship was only like probably 15 minutes. But God gave me this phrase that just stuck with me. He's like, Chris... Before you preach, I want you to pray this prayer. Is that you have nothing to prove, but you have everything to give. You have nothing to prove, but everything to give. And what I didn't realize is because I felt all that pressure, 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 pressure. It wasn't about Jesus at all. It was all about myself. But now that I'm in a place, gosh, I can just, it's all about Jesus. It's about the people that I'm serving. There's something where it's like the flip switched because I made it about Jesus and what he was doing and not the pressure that I was feeling myself. And David had the same moment where he was greatly distressed because the people wanted to stone him. But the very next verse says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now here's, here's, here's what's so cool. That word strength in Hebrew, it means to be fortified like a rock. 
where when he was under mental distress, where he was just kind of everywhere in his head, God was making him into a rock. But the cool part is when you look at that meaning of the rock, do you know what it means even deeper in that? It means to bind up as well. Do you catch that? Where in one moment, David was consumed with the problem. He was bound to it. But when he chose to worship his God, not worshiping the problem, not worshiping the circumstance, but worshiping him, he became bound to his God. And here's the thing, is that a, a big reason why we don't feel strengthened, because we're trying to strengthen ourselves. It's so easy to read that passage. Oh, David strengthened himself. He just pulled up his bootstraps and got it together. No, it was the opposite. He was down and out. He was done. He was going to retreat from the pain. He was going to react to the pressure. But what did he do? He responded in worship. And that word respond is so key because it has this picture, this idea that God was already working. God was already moving. God was at Ziklag before that raid happened. He was already there. But when David chose to see God for who he is, that's when the worship started to happen. So that's where we just, we need to flip that switch. Because if we're not careful, we can have a very me-centered approach to our faith. It's me, it's me, it's me. It's like, no, it's not, it's never been about you. It won't be. It's about Jesus. So when we allow the Lord to strengthen us, oh my gosh. And here's the thing, is that God doesn't just want to get you out. He wants to take you straight through your pressure. And that's what, and that's what deal with David. I'm going to take you right through that. And here's what's cool, is that when God, when David allowed God to take him through that, the confidence came back again. The confidence started coming back. The dream started coming back again. The decision making started coming back. The faith started to rise. And God wants to do that same thing in each and every one of us. But the question is, how are you being strengthened? Are you trying to be strengthened by a feeling, by a circumstance, by a person? Who in your life is pushing you to be strengthened by Jesus? And here's the thing. Here's the thing. We believe in community here, but there are going to be moments in your life where the only person that can push you towards Jesus is you. And so, oh, I, I'm, I wasn't fed this week. Or, man, when that person prayed for me, it wasn't on my heart. You've got to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You've got to learn that spiritual discipline. And I want to talk about how. Because here's the thing. For me, I know for you too, you just don't want to have a good moment with God. You want that to lead to momentum with God. And here's, here's what's cool. Here's what David did after this moment. And David said to Abathur the priest, the son of Amalekek, bring me the ephod. So Abathur brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and you shall surely rescue. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bazaar where those who were left stayed behind. What I love about this passage is that David, he's, he's ready, he's strengthened, but instead of setting out his own course, David's like, no, I'm going to allow the voice of God to lead me. Jesus, what do you want me to do? Shall I do this? Should I not do this? I want your voice to guide my life. And listen, when pressure is leading your life, 
you're not going to listen to the voice of God. You're going you're gonna to be driven by the pressure of what you're feeling. And so we need the voice of God to shape our life because what shapes our life, it's ultimately what's going to direct our life. So what voices are shaping your life right now? See, we see this contrast. I wish I had time to go into this, but I'll give you a snapshot. Is you see a contrast between David and Saul. David wasn't God's anointed and chosen because he was perfect. But the scripture tells us it's because he had a heart after God's own heart. Saul started super well. Good looking, tall, had the people's approval. I mean, he just looked like he had it all together, right? He started out well. But Samuel had told Saul, listen, God wants A, B, and C done. And Saul came back. I did A. Kind of did B. And what, what was C again? I don't, I don't really remember. And so but he comes to Samuel like, hey, I did it. Isn't this great? Aren't I awesome? But Saul, Samuel's like to Saul, wait, what are you doing? Like God doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants your obedience there was something in Saul that said, and something in all of us as well, that says that I can hear God's voice, but I can still do it the way that I want to. And, and here's the thing. It, it's, it's, so, it's so sober where I'm reading this in my, in my one-year Bible, where Saul is, is leaving this moment because now he's not the king anymore. And he says to Samuel, Samuel, is it okay if you take me back to honor me with my people so that we can worship your God? Did you catch that? Can you take me back so that you can honor me with my people? Not God's people, they're my people now. And so that we can worship not my God, but your God. Saul had gotten so far from the voice, the heart of God, he didn't realize the state of his heart. Pride can be defined in many ways, but I think one of the easiest ways to define it is that pride is not listening and obeying the voice of God. And pride will be the biggest blocker to you hearing God's voice. And so we got to take that seriously. Where pressure is for a moment, but God wants us to respond to his presence. But how do we abide? How do we stay with God? How do we stay in line with the Holy Spirit? It's through listening to his voice and making that a rhythm in our lives. You know, I was faced with a very uh, big decision years ago. 23, I'd finished up a church internship, and I wasn't going staff there. And honestly, I didn't know what to do at all. I was just lost, and honestly, I, I just kind of like, okay, I, will, I went to Bible college. I'm just going to go back to Bible college. And here's the thing. I was telling people, man, this is God's voice. He's telling me to go here. And all, honestly, I was scared. I was freaked out. And everybody had an idea of what God's will was for my life. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to make up my God's will for my life, and it's not that, okay. And so I'm thinking, gosh, I'm going to go to Bible college, back down south, and just all these things I'm wrestling with. I had met Lauren probably like two months in that process. So I'm like, hey, I hope you're okay with long distance because I'm out of here. <laughs> and so we're like probably like three weeks into me leaving to L.A., two or three weeks out. So we're in her car, we're talking about this, and I saw her crying. And if, if you know me, that's, it, it's not a rare occurrence. So I know I, when she saw me crying, it was, oh, are you okay? Like, hey, like, what's up? Like, it was almost like a very uh, casual thing. But she could tell, like, okay, I'm, like, I'm feeling around. She's like, what is it? And I'm like, 
God told me no to going to Bible college. She's like, well, God spoke to you. Why are you crying? Because he didn't tell me what to do. Now I really don't know what to do. But I, I knew what God was doing inside of me. It's like, will you trust me? Will you trust me with those little, little things? And I'm so glad I did. I said, I said no to Bible college. I didn't go. And then for that two-week period, I just waited. I prayed. And within those, gosh, I want to say a week to two weeks, my old pastor called me up. Hey, listen. So the pastor had asked um, for someone that they could bring on a staff. I think you're a great fit. Why don't you guys get connected? And that formed into me going to a church for six years and pastoring there. Would have that have happened if I would have just locked out God? And like, I got this. It wouldn't have happened. There's grace. There is mercy. But that thing in me that didn't want to trust God, it would have still been inside of me. And so we need to hear God's voice and for ourselves. And I know that can sound so conceptual. And this is, there's more time that I'm going to give it to. But I want to give us a snapshot. Is hearing God comes from knowing your Bible. And I, and, and I know I'm preaching the choir right now. It's like, tell me something new and different and just, you know, good. It's like, no, this is really good. You need to get in your Bible. A lot of us, we want to hear God's voice, but our Bibles are closed. And I say that in the most, like, honoring way, because I look back at some seasons of my life, and I'm like, what were you thinking? Like, the common denominator in almost every one of my difficult and dry seasons not because it was the author of it, but because I stayed there, is because I wasn't posturing my heart to hear God's voice. And I got off track. And so let the word of God get into your soul. Who cares if you don't understand all the time? Who cares if it's, if, if it's like, it's hard to understand? We'll help you with that. But get in there. Let God's word speak to you. Psalm 1 tells us, that when we meditate on the word of God day and night, day and night, day and night, you'll be like a tree planted in, in, in the water. And that you will bear season. And so you will bear fruit in every season. Doesn't that sound great? A great plan? I love that. Give me some of that, God. Get into your Bible. Two is, is prayer. Prayer. And here's what's been a game changer for me. I know for a lot of us who've been through our Freedom Small Group is I knew how to talk to God. I knew how to listen to God. But there's, a, but there's such a depth when we actually ask God questions. Lord, how do you feel about this? Lord, can you, can you interpret this event for me? Lord, what lie am I believing right now? How many of you know that God is pretty good at answering those questions? And he'll speak right into it. And there's so many times where I'd wasted time I gotta listen to this podcast. I gotta read this book. I gotta ask all these people where God had a word right for me in that moment. But I just didn't make space. I didn't believe that God would actually speak to me in that moment. And lastly, is community. Proverbs tells us that in the multitude of elders and community, there's wisdom. We need people that are gonna help hear the word of God with us and for us. If you're the only person that's hearing God's voice just for you, Man, that's going to be rough at times. It's going to be a little rough. Surround yourself. Not everybody, but people that you trust, that are seasoned, that are mature, that are going to honor your confidentiality. Don't, don't trust everybody, but trust somebody. Get somebody close to you with that level of, of vulnerability, okay? 
And so I just believe that all of us in this room are just one whisper away, one moment away. You know, one of our values is that we commune before we create. And that probably is one of the most violated values in our culture. Got to make it happen. I got to do this. God's like, I can do far more and greater, not just through you, but in you, if you commune before you create. So let's lean in. The real flip, the switch, isn't your circumstances, isn't in your feelings, but it's in the condition of your soul. And if we allow God, and we feel the pressure, and we feel the pain, we're not going to stay on this treadmill. We're going to respond and worship to God. And the voice of God, the voice of God will have weight in our lives. The voice of God will be powerful in our lives because we're making room for it. We're creating space for it.